Okay, we're on. Here we go. Go ahead. Okay, Bob. Psalm 119, one, or verse 41. There we go. Tent peg, add, secure, hook. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom for sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. Then I lift up my hands your commands which I love. Meditate on them. Mm, okay. Well, we got uh, Linda in the church today, despite being in the hospital on Monday. Oh. <laughs> so it's very good to have you here. We're glad that you're healthy. And, I'm uh, glad I'm here. And are you feeling okay? Just tired. Just tired. And that's the antibiotics. I'll take it. I, I, that's I'll what, take it. Yeah, good. And then we have Paul, who's still not around. So we, we I don't know when he's going to be attending, but he did say it may take a while. So, yeah, we want to just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for all the people that are in their troubles. And, Lord, we do uh, certainly lift up all of the people out there that uh, have uh, their physical troubles, their trials, their uh, financial troubles. And you know each and every one of them, Lord. You know who they are. You know what they need. And we want to lift them up to you, and we would ask that you would be with them. And uh, also, we would ask that you would be with our president, who is continuing to go under a barrage of attacks that, unlike any person probably in the history of this nation, and we would ask that you would put a hedge of protection around him and keep him safe. And uh, all of our leaders that are uh, set on following you and being obedient to your precepts, we would pray that they would be kept safe and that they would not come to harm, and uh, we would also pray for those that aren't following you, that they would come to you, and that they would uh, have their eyes open to the, the their obviously wicked ways, which are going on throughout this nation. And Lord, we thank you for this chance to get into your word. We thank you for the uh, wonderful book of Romans, and uh, we just ask that you help us to handle it properly and to uh, um, just share it with others, what we learn, so that uh, your word is... Uh, highly exalted on people's minds and in their hearts as they uh, hear about the wonder that uh, you have done through Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, 45, Jim read it. Yes. But he left out the important word. You know, the people that seek in God's precepts yep. will walk in liberty. Yep. Capital L. Capital L, walk in liberty, Liberty University. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I will walk in liberty. Um, talk to the, uh, yeah. Translators. Of the yeah, the translators. Um, I got a few things that I want the people, we got streaming online and we have people that watch on YouTube. And I want them to know that last week the uh, streaming didn't work. It's because the server went down and that was rebuilt by Sergio. If you missed that class, it's online. I recorded it even though uh, uh, it wasn't streaming. I did record it. I did upload it. And uh, so if you did not see that, go back and review. It was a good class. We had a whole uh, section on dispensationalism that we talked about. And um, <clears throat> then I have um, uh, something that... I hope that all of you, if you have Netflix, will take the time, and I'm absolutely serious about this. Uh, it's a, it's on Netflix now. Who knows how long they'll have it on. They always ro rotate things out. It is called Is Genesis History, 
and it is outstanding. You will not regret watching it. It's um, a man uh, evaluates the Genesis account, which we is tied directly into the book of Romans, and um, it, he uh, ties in the Genesis account with uh, the rest of the Bible. And as I've said, I am a six-day creationist, and I am that way because that's what the Bible proclaims. Now, I have a friend that uh, is not a six-day creationist, and that's no problem. He's saved. You are saved by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But I did tell him that if somebody is told that a six-day creation is not true when you're giving them the gospel message, then I believe that they are not getting a true gospel message. It's a false gospel message, and they will not be saved. And the reason why is the same as uh, uh, Jesus not being born of a virgin. If somebody has a faulty impression of the gospel, then they are uh, believing in a false god. Okay, The Bible, if you watch it, you will be convinced. You will be absolutely convinced of a six-day creation. They approach it. These are uh, all the people that were evaluated are PhDs, and they're not just your the theology PhDs. You know, people that have theology PhDs are usually about as messed up as a football bat. These people are uh, astronomers. They are um, uh, chemists. They are people that are grounded in the disciplines, and they will explain to you. And one of them, he's a, a PhD of Hebrew um, studies. Okay, and he says exactly what I've said all along. It just confirms it, is that the Bible does not allow anything but a six-day creation. It presupposes a six-day creation, and it is something that um, is fundamental to understanding what God has done. God is not deceiving us with the creation account. He's not allegorizing it, and as a matter of fact, he was spot on when he said exactly what I've said in the past, that a um, uh, a diminishing of the six-day creation account, all it does is it diminishes all of the rest of Bible yeah. theology. Yeah. All of it. And it the name is, is Genesis it History. It is Genesis History. Just type in I-S-G-E-N and it'll start coming up. So and, is this um, a document? It is, it's a man that it, uh, goes, it, you're going to see, he starts it out in the most incredible way. I don't want to give the whole thing away. Uh, it, it deals with Romans, so I'm not diverting from a Romans class here. He's, he starts out sitting in a place that looks just like the Grand Canyon. And he's there. There's rivers running through it. There's, there's walls that are very high, and they have all the strata of a Grand Canyon. And he says that this didn't exist just a few years ago. And you're sitting there and thinking, how is that possible? It's right, right outside of Mount St. Helens, and it is a small version of the Grand Canyon. And I'm telling you what, it is astonishing what he said. This was all forest just a few years ago, and now... It is completely different, and it happened in minutes, not in hundreds of thousands of years. And from that point, he defends every single thing. He goes around the world and talks to people, astronomers, as I said. You will be convinced when they are done. And if you're not, I feel bad for you. I honestly feel bad for you if you cannot grasp the importance of that issue in your theology. Jesus, when he spoke of the creation account, he spoke of it as a literal account. When he spoke of Abel, he spoke of Abel as being a son of Adam, and if he is the son of Adam, then Adam was created. Every single thing that Jesus refers to concerning creation in the uh, New Testament depends on the creation account being tr true. And it has only been since the introduction of Darwin, uh, Darwinian evolution 
And that time frame where people got away from the biblical account, and since that time frame, the Bible has been diminished in the eyes of churches mm -hmm. to the point where it is no longer the infallible word of God. Please watch that. Please know that it is a true account that God did create in six days, and it can be validated not just by Charlie on a blackboard, but by people that have training in this that are being shut out from the truth by the, the liberal world of theology and the liberal world of evolutionists. It is a true account. The Bible depends on a literal six-day creation. I won't go into any more on that. Please watch it. Um, another thing. Um, we started, if you uh, don't watch the Prophecy Updates, then you may not know this. We started 1 Thessalonians uh, today, and you can start that. It'll take us 89 days to get through it, one verse at a time. You go to the Superior Word website, hover your little arrow over the word today, and it'll pull up today's uh, um, uh, uh, a devotional and it's an analysis with a life application and a prayer which is where I get all my Roman studies from which took you know about two years to go through but it's the same thing we're doing it at 1 Thessalonians that started today and uh, will be done in 89 days unless the Lord comes first or unless he takes me and then I have one more thing to say and uh, I, I just want to I don't want to give any specifics away because um, uh, I, I I just don't but I mentioned in either a Bible study or a sermon that um, uh, I have a Young's literal uh, concordance, analytical concordance of the Bible that was my grandmother's. It was a hundred and some years old. And um, I, I, every time I use it, it falls apart a little more. And I love to refer to it, but I really almost don't because of that. And I want you to know that somebody sent me one. And, I, because, and so I so much appreciate that. I just want to thank the person openly on a Bible study, and I'll try to remember to do that also um, on Sunday at the sermon, but I very, very much appreciate that. I just, I don't want to uh, uh, go into any more depth than that, but to thank that person very much. And so uh, there you go. I know it was a long introduction to a Bible study. So, so but, Charlie, so your grandmother was really deep into studying? Well, no, my grandmother's father was a medical missionary to China. He wrote the very first book on the diseases unique to China. It's a very interesting wow. book. He's got great pictures of things. That uh, uh, yet yeah, no, pictures. It, it was right at the eighteen uh, hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, and my grandma was born, I think, in nineteen oh five or something. But anyway, right in that time frame, and that he uh, he was a medical missionary, and he had that was one of his books. And so, uh, he, he, and she was raised, you know, in the Episcopal Church and under him. But uh, it was he that that belonged to, I do believe. And oh, one more thing I want to say, not just for the the concordance but for everybody that helps out with this church i don't always thank people but uh yeah i take the time to do that on live streaming but it really means a lot that the there's an extended church that can keep a little church like this open in sarasota florida and so everybody that has done that i'm very grateful thank you for that and uh, okay let's get into romans and uh we're in romans 5 verse 15 today but a gift is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Okay, let me read that one from this one because I didn't have it turned to the page. I want to make sure it matches. But the free gift, anybody got a problem with that? I do. It's a redundancy. It's a redundancy. Yeah, yeah, a free gift. It's a gift. If it's a gift, it is a gift. And that's when you say free gift. That, to me, diminishes other parts of the Bible, like John 3.16, where it says it is the gift of God, implying what? It's not a free gift because it doesn't say free. The word free gift 
I don't like. It should either say gift or it should say something uh, free something. But anyway, I do have a problem with that. But the free the gift, I'm just going to circle the word free there, is not like the offense. It begins with the word but. Usually when you see the word but from Paul, it's a very good thing, and it is. Um, as a matter of fact, go back and read 14 and 15, and then I will read them again, because we want to see the contrast. 14, uh, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Okay, very similar. I'm not going to go ahead and read that again, other than it says abound to the many rather than overflow. So anyway, that's translator's preference there. But excuse me, Paul is showing the parallel between Adam and Christ. The previous verse was Adam. Now he's showing what Christ did. But although the uh, lines are parallel in direction, they're vastly different in altitude. Where Adam's line runs in a downward motion, Christ soars to the heavens. We see the contrast with the word, but death entered the world and death reigned over man. But the free gift, or we'll just say the gift, is not like the offense. The gift referred to is the work of Jesus Christ. What he did is not at all like what Adam did. Not at all. For if by one's man's, one man's offense is speaking of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. One sin in the Garden of Eden and everything in all of creation went into turmoil. As a matter of fact, they talk about that in the Genesis, uh, is Genesis history um, uh, movie that I referred to. If you watch that and if you liked it. I hope that you'll just send me a real short email and say, I really like that. Pass it on to other people. I, I cannot help but think that you will be blessed by watching that movie. And it's dealing with this issue that we're talking about right now. If Adam was not created, if he evolved, you cannot evolve into original sin. I got away from my original talk about that when I was going on about the movie because I had all those things going on. But you cannot evolve into original sin. It is impossible. That all of a sudden, if you were not created and if you evolved, then morality does not matter from a biblical context at all. The Bible no longer has any relevance. None. Okay? You have to understand that. If I tell somebody that the Bible account, the Genesis account, is not a literal account, I do not believe that they will have a proper understanding of the work of Jesus Christ. I do not believe it, and I believe... First, I will never concede to it in my own self, but if I was to tell somebody it doesn't matter, then I would be sinning against that person. Now, once again, if you, I was raised an evolutionist. I came to Jesus Christ believing in evolution. It is not a salvific issue for me to be an evolutionist and to be saved by Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Romans 10, 9 and 10 is what tells you how to be saved. But if I introduce the Genesis account inaccurately as a part of a gospel presentation, that person will have a faulty Jesus. That's what I'm saying. A, a, a heretic can be a saved person, but what he teaches the next guy will keep that person from being saved. All of this is very important. Theology matters, and if you're going to give the gospel, give the simple gospel. Don't get into all the side issues. Don't get into all the crazy things that will 
possibly you're wrong on. And the next thing you know, this guy's believing some crazy. Give them the, the simple gospel, okay? But if somebody is out there teaching that the Bible is not literally true in passages like Genesis, they have a fundamental problem with theology. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, I am adamant about that, that it, watch the movie and you will believe exactly, I, exactly as I've said all along. You will say, I wish that I could just quote the way these people took the creation account and showed how fallible what we are being taught in the world is. These are very intelligent people. Anyway, all goes back to this verse right here. I'll get off of that line, hopefully, and not get back on it. But um, uh, it's speaking of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, exactly what he said in the movie. Adam had one rule to follow, okay, and he failed to do so. One rule. By this one transgression, Paul says, many died. This is the state of the world as explained by Paul. Every person born from the time of Adam, every person died the moment Adam died. If Adam did not have original sin, then we did not die in Adam. It is that clear. It is that clear. Either Adam was created and he sinned with original sin, or there is no such thing as original sin, and we do not need Christ Jesus. It is that simple. Okay, it has to be that Adam was created. If Adam was created, then why would you allegorize the rest of the creation account? Why would you do that? God took the dust of the earth. He created man. He breathed into him the breath of life. He gave him a, a wife to, to be with him as a helper. The account is very clear in what went on, and then Adam fell. And it's all tied into a true account. As I said, Jesus himself, when he speaks of, when Jesus speaks of the flood, does he say that was a, a metaphor or an allegory? No, he literally speaks of it as a real flood. If you take the first 11 chapters of Genesis and you allegorize them, this book is done. That's, as a matter of fact, if you take the first chapter of Genesis and you allegorize it, this book is done. Okay, it is that important. Okay, um, and you can think I'm goofy. You can think I'm crazy that I believe in a six-day creation. That's fine. I think just the opposite. So if I, I'm not pointing a finger at any individual, but I think just the opposite. After having sat down and read this book enough, and after having read Paul's words and Jesus' comments on these things, I am fully convinced that this is what God wants us to believe: is that we were created and we originally sinned. Okay, it says. Um, uh, however, let me go back to the last sentence. We inherited the spiritually dead state that Adam earned. Okay, we were not yet born, but we inherited what he earned. All sin comes through Adam. The picture of circumcision is the cutting away of sin because it travels from father to child. Every human being on this planet that has ever existed has a father and a mother, with one exception. He has a father and a mother, not a human father, I should say. Right. Even Christ has a father, but he is not a human father. It is through the human father that sin travels, okay? So, however, in Christ there is a difference, according to Paul. Adam's line plummeted to the depths of the grave, but Christ's line will take a different path. Paul says, much more. It shows the divergence of the lines. What Adam did brought death to man, Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> but much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Adam was created sinless. Jesus was born sinless. Adam sinned. Jesus never sinned. 
Adam's disobedience brought about immediate spiritual death to all people and eventual physical death to all people. Christ's obedience, being far superior to Adam's disobedience, brought about the possibility of immediate, eternal, spiritual life to any and all who will receive it, and eventual, eternal, physical life to all of the same. Okay? You see the difference. Adam here, Christ here. Adam here, Christ here. Think of any issue that Adam faced, and think of any issue that Christ offers, and think of the superlative nature of it. And it's another thing, you know, I, I, I just think these things. I'm out mowing today. I'm catching up on all the, the jobs that I have to do because of the uh, uh, rain that we had last week, and Tom knows all about that. And um, uh, while I'm thinking about those things, I'm contemplating the goodness of God and what he has promised us. And it is as sure as the lawnmower that I'm using. If I was to stick my foot into the lawnmower, I would lose my foot. Okay, that's that's the nature of things. It's going to cut off my foot. If I was to disbelieve what God has promised in the Bible, that I will live forever, I'd be more stupid than putting my foot into that lawnmower. He has said it, the Bible confirms it, and it will happen. So if you're facing, you know, like Linda had her, her trial at the beginning of the week, and we don't know what's going to happen to her, we're worried about it, everybody is kind of panicking until we got some better news. But if a different outcome had come on Monday than what came out, we would all be grieving, we would all be miserable at our loss, but at the same time, we would all have a sense of joy that we will see this person again. I would hope that we would all have that. If you don't have it, then you need to get redirected about what Jesus Christ has come to do. It is superlative. As bad as it is in Adam, as bad as it is to get a, a you know a, a splinter in your foot and then it gets stuck in there and it festers and it hurts and break an arm, whatever you can think of that's physically bad, Christ offers something so, so much better. And you think of the spiritual problems. We have spiritual problems through divorce. We have spiritual problems through neuroses. And it just on and on, all of that's going to be washed away. The life that we will be living in Christ will be so far above what we have now in Adam that we will never remember how bad it was now. We, we won't even think about it. So just keep that in your mind is that it is as sure as the lawnmower's blades going around cutting your grass, okay? It is, 100% sure. The gift is superior in all ways, but it is... Guaranteed. No, it is a gift. Sure. The gift is superior in all ways. Paul says it's a gift, but it is a gift. What does that imply without me saying it? it. it you have to receive it is what I'm thinking of. It's not of works, that's correct, because if it's a gift, and you're right, if it's a gift... And if you have to do something for it, then obviously it's not a gift, but it's also not a gift if you don't have to receive it. If you are spiritually regenerated in order to believe, which is what Calvinism says, then it isn't a gift at all. It is a part of God's nature bestowing something on you, but it is not a gift, okay? A gift is something that you can refuse. Otherwise, it's not a gift. Like I say, I could um, think of an example, and I will while I'm going on, but something that you have that is uh, bestowed upon you, but it really isn't a gift. You had no choice but to accept it. Well, I'll give you an example right now. I'm born in America, right? Was that a gift? No, it's an honor that's bestowed on me because I'm here in America, but it wasn't a gift. I didn't have to do anything to receive it. 
A gift is something that you have to do something in order to receive. Not a work. We've already excluded back in Romans 3, I think, 3.14 or something, that faith is not a work. Paul makes a complete division between the two, works and faith. Faith is never considered a work. Okay, the gift is superior in all ways, but it is a gift. A gift is not forced, just as wages are not a gift. Wages are earned, but gifts are received. The truth that must, I got a real thing in my throat today. I don't know, maybe I used too much bleach while I was cleaning. The truth that must be understood is that just as Adam freely chose to disobey, it was not an act which he which can be ascribed to God in any way. If you don't understand that, you can go back and you can uh, uh, see that in the Genesis 1 through, Gen- uh, 1, 1 through Genesis 1, 6 sermon. I, I talk about why God cannot be imputed uh, fault for what happened to um, uh, Adam. Anyway, um, where was I? Um, the truth that must be understood is that just as Adam freely chose to disobey, it was not an act which can be ascribed to God in any way. The lost son of Adam must freely choose to receive the gift offered by God. Okay? Note. Oh, I knew you were going to do that. I saw you get up and thank you very much. That's all right. You're all in order. They just fell upside down. Thank you very much. I'm going to do this in front of you all and I apologize and I've just got my notes completely. Mm. I don't know what's the matter there, but I'm just struggling trying to breathe and I better not wipe that up because if I do, the ink will run all over. So we'll just... All right, here we go. Sorry about that, people. Um... The term free gift, oh yeah, I've already said that. The term free gift is a redundancy. The original Greek simply uses the term charisma, meaning grace. If something has a price attached to it, it is neither free nor a gift. If it is free, it is a gift, and if it is a gift, it is free, okay? And just a little, I, I, I hear sermons a lot where people will say it's free gift, and I just don't like hearing that, and I know I say things wrong all the time as well. But uh, if you can get rid of those redundancies, then uh, it kind of helps clear things up. A little life application <laughs> for you. Life, it, life itself is a gift. It is unmerited, and therefore, and I shouldn't have even said that because it's really not. It's an, it's, life is something that is granted to us. I shouldn't say that it's a gift because it's something that we don't receive. It's just given to us. It is unmerited, and therefore, we cannot complain about how ours turns out. Some people live long, healthy lives. Some people live short, pain-filled lives. Some are rich and some are poor. Some are born in Japan. Some are born in Canada. These things in no way imply that God is unfair. The same is true with our salvation. God offered God, God offered his son in payment for our sins. We cannot call God unfair if we reject his (laughs) offer, nor can we claim that he is unfair if we never heard the good news. Time and place are his decision, but if the gift is available, it is up to us to receive it. Don't refuse the grace of God found in Jesus. It is a blessing of eternal value. Okay, and while I've got that on my mind, because I'm talking about time and place and, uh, uh, you know, turning down the uh, offer of Jesus, I was listening, every month I get a uh, CD from R.C. Sproul. I get his Table Talk magazine, and that, no, no, he did a good job on this. I uh, 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 he, uh, I get his Table Talk magazine, which came in, and I also he gives you a, a CD. And this month he was talking about Matthew or and Mark, but specifically Mark, the account of um, cursing the fig tree. <laughs> he uh, curses the fig tree. They go into the temple on the way back out. 
that says that the fig tree is withered up. And he said that it was it was a good talk, nothing wrong in it today. But he said um, that uh, Bertram Russell used that passage as one of his arguments against against Christianity. Is he saying that? that shows a vindictive and i don't remember the exact words that he used but it showed how uh any god that would curse a innocent tree uh is not worthy of uh worship and he is not a good god that's basically his argument now it's not as eloquent as rc sproul said it but can anybody tell me what the problem with that is he was created to bear fruit and if it didn't do it at the time that the, the Lord was there. Well, that's true. But yeah, I, I, I'm not talking about the tree itself. What is the problem with the theology? Okay. Okay. I, I'll tell you. Here's, you're right, though. It's God's tree, and he can do whatever he wants with it. But the problem with that is, is he's angry at Jesus for doing something that he doesn't believe he did. You see how stupid that is? He's making an argument against being a, becoming a Christian by saying that he did this thing. Well, if he did that thing and he had the power to do it, then obviously he is who he said he is, right? Because nobody just walks up to a tree and curses it and it dies by the root. So you can see the, the ludicrous nature of people when they try to get away from Christianity and they use excuses, as I said right here, for not receiving the gift. They make things up when the, the, the arguments that they, as soon as I heard him say that, I said, well, that was the stupidest argument in the world because he's, he's making an argument against something that he now says is true. It would be like saying, I understand that there's a God and that he created me, but I hate him because he created me with blonde hair. Well, are you worried about the blonde hair or are you worried about being created? The fact that there is some being that can do that thing. We find all kinds of excuses to reject God, to ignore his word, a literal reading of it when it should be, or a, a, a correct reading of it, such as uh, you know uh, the book of uh, Timothy, which gives certain things that people are to do or not to do in church. There are guidelines for church conduct, uh, the, the conduct of church, who can be ordained, who cannot be ordained, and people get angry about it. It's as if God <laughs> has no right to say these things. And so what do they do? They malign Paul, but they say, oh, I, I, I agree with this part of Scripture, but not this part. It is a unified whole. If you get away from this verse right here, whatever that says, if you pull it out, Guess what? The entire thing starts to unravel. It is a unified whole. We must stand on the integrity of this word. Okay? So, Bertram Russell, if he never received Jesus Christ after saying that, he will suffer his own loss when he is cast into the pit of fire. That's That was his choice to reject God. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, verse uh, 516. Here's the other shameful thing. Let's say he did afterwards except Christ. Look right. at all the damage he's done. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And But we all have that in us. And I thought that also. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people that have, have been uh, atheists. They have maligned the name of Christ for years and years and years. And all of a sudden they become a Christian. And you say, well, what about all of their writings which have maligned the name of Christ? Hopefully, hopefully that will be put aside somewhere in a, you know, and people won't use it, but people will. But also think about the people that saw the change in him and now maybe they want to know Christ. So it kind of goes both ways. It all depends on, you know, when it happened in this life and Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. He was a ACLU lawyer. He was an atheist. And, you know, whatever he said in his time of atheism caused a lot of damage to the name of Christ. Newspaper but, man. 
uh, what? Newspaper, newspaper man. man. There you go. But now he uh, he is a very sta uh, staunch advocate for Christ, and so the Lord is using him, hopefully, to change minds and to convert people. He's using a you know a, an apologetic, which is logical. It's a defense of the faith, and uh, you know so it, it can go both ways. But you're absolutely right. People read Bertram Russell and they think, well, I'm never going to become a Christian when. Maybe the last day of his life, he became a Christian. I hope so. Anyway, 516. Okay. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Very close, but I'm going to read this one anyway. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Okay? The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, meaning Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. One offense, one sin of the flesh, and all were condemned because of it. All people. If, uh, let me take you back there just so you know, because I know some people struggle with that. And uh, 51st Psalm, verse 5, will tell you that, um, is that uh, I was born in sin, I was conceived in iniquity. And you can say, well, that's... that's um, uh, that's the Psalms, and that's not to be taken literally, and blah, blah, blah. Hey, Jesus said it in John three eighteen. He said, he who believes in him, meaning Christ, is not condemned. Exactly what Paul is writing about right here. Um, but he who does not believe is condemned already. That's right. He's already condemned. Now, that's the words of Jesus. You might dismiss the 51st Psalm. But I hate to tell you, Jesus himself, so if you're one of these people that say, I don't agree with this part of the Bible, but I do agree with this part of the Bible, hey, you got to agree with what the Lord himself said, okay? He says that all people are condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And what that means is, think about what he said there. He who believes in him is not condemned, okay? Anybody here that calls on Jesus goes from uh, condemnation to salvation, right? He says... But he who does not believe is condemned already. That means all people are condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You are condemned even if you've never heard Jesus' name. See what it says? He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't even have to believe or hear the name of Jesus in order to be condemned. That is the default setting for humanity. You must go from either not hearing about him or not believing in him to hearing about him and believing in him. And if you do those things, then you will be saved. But the default setting is condemnation. All people, all people, are, which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, John 3, 18. But the free, forget free gift, but the gift which came from many offenses resulted in in justification. Not only were we born condemned, but we have many offenses in this life, okay, and yet the gift results in justification. Okay. Just for review. Yes. Moses, they, uh, everybody, uh, uh, David, I mean, okay. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know Jesus, but, but they were looking forward to Messiah. Their hope was in the promised Messiah, same as Abraham. Their hope was in the promise of God coming. And so they were saved by faith in Messiah. Even though they didn't know the name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew, they knew that one would come that would save them. And so that is what that's speaking of. That'll, that'll throw people off. That, it will throw people off. But you're absolutely right, is that faith 
in Messiah, whether it's before or after looking back on him. That is what saves a person, okay? It is faith. And David wrote about that. We saw that in Romans either, I think it was Romans 3. <coughs> he explained, blessed is the man to whom uh, sin is not imputed, iniquity is not imputed. Um, I, I know I misquoted that, but anyway, that's back in, I think, Romans 3. And David understood that you are imputed iniquity for committing it, and yet blessed is the man who isn't. Where does that come from? It comes from faith in Messiah. Okay, so... Um, 516, there are different views on our state as human beings before God. Okay, some say that we don't bear Adam's guilt at all. Some say we bear it after our first committed sin. You've got Jacob Arminius. He's somewhere in that uh, uh, train of thought. We uh, are, once we sin the first time, then we're separated from God. Okay, that's a heresy. I'm sorry. Arminius is wrong about that. And that's where Wesleyan, uh, John Wesley, Wesleyan, uh, theology comes from is from the Arminius camp. Now Arminius got some things wrong, right? And Calvin got some things wrong. Calvin was right on this issue, so you don't want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, Calvin is, and then throw him out. He wrote things that are true. He wrote things that are correct. Same thing with Arminius. People say, well, Arminius was a heretic. That doesn't mean he didn't say anything that was true, so we have to be careful about that type of thinking as well. But there are different views on our state uh, as human beings before God. Some say that we don't bear Adam's guilt at all, some say we bear it after our first committed sin. And then there's the premise that we are in Adam and bear his guilt. The final option is, and I hate to tell you, but it's the only biblical, biblically acceptable answer. The other two options come from an emotional response to the state of those who have died. That's right. where it all comes down to. It comes down to emotions. People say, I don't want to believe this because, and I, it, anyway, uh, maybe based on age, or on whether they have have or have not been given the gospel. They were born, you know, in Africa in 321 BC, and it's not fair to them. People think of all kinds of reasons why. And it always comes back to their personal emotions about the theology that is being presented. All right. In other words, for many theologians, the thought of death and its consequences is something that moves them emotionally in the direction of a stand which is unbiblical. However, Proper theology cannot be based on emotions. I say this all the time. People don't want to hear it, but you cannot base your theology on emotions. It is the shallowest part of the human being. It's maybe one of the most wonderful parts of the human being. You know, when we get emotional, it's pretty wonderful. When we are emotional about our faith in Jesus and tears are streaming down our face, you know, at uh, Resurrection Day when we're going through a sermon and we're thinking of what Christ did for us, it's a wonderful part of who we are. When we listen to music and it gets us emotionally uplifted, but you cannot take your emotions, especially at the beginning of a church when there's music, and say, I'm being filled with the Spirit. There's nothing to do with it. That is the shallowest part of the human being. It's not the deepest, okay? We are to be impassionate in our evaluation, acceptance, and instruction concerning the truths the Bible contains. If you read this and you say, oh, I just, I hate that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you hate what it says. As long as you say, I hate that, but I'm going to be obedient to it, you're in, o you're in an okay place. But if you say, I hate that, and I'm not going to do that, then you are basing your theology on your own personal emotions and on your own personal mores, and that is a very, very sad place to be. But that's where, I hate to say it, but most churches yeah, are. That's I'm a not crowded saying, bus. The what? That's a crowded bus. It's a crowded bus. That's right. And when I say most churches, I don't mean... 
this is the only good church in America. That's not what I'm saying. There are good churches all over the place. There are good pastors all over the place. I'm talking about most churches in the sense of denominational uh, teachings and things that are out there that, that people hold on to that they should not hold on to. There are plenty of good pastors out there. There are faithful pastors in little churches all over America and big churches all over America and all over the world. But when I say most, it's in the, the general sense that most people base their theology on emotions. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, where am I? Passion is to be the result, the result of our understanding of God's word, not the basis for it. Let me read that again. Passion is to be the result of our understanding of God's word, not the basis for it. As I said, if you're in church on Resurrection Day and you're listening to a uh, sermon about the cross, if your heart isn't broken, if he's preaching it properly, I don't know where your priorities are because when I start thinking about what Jesus did for me, I start weeping. I can listen to a song about the cross and I can start weeping, but that is not the basis for my theology. It's the result of it. Okay, if I take my emotions and I say, well, I don't like this, then the basis of my theology is, well, not this verse and not this verse, and I like this one, and we can't pick and choose scripture. Okay, when we set aside our emotions, we allow God to be God. He is the ultimate authority of our relationship with him. There's nothing else. He is the one that decides our theology. It is immensely hard to look at someone who is in emotional distress over the death of a loved one who was probably not saved, and tell them that there is only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is through the work of Jesus Christ. And not only is it through Jesus' work, but that his work came as a response to the misdeed of Adam, thus implying that all human beings are in Adam and must move to Christ. But this is what the Bible teaches, both implicitly and explicitly. As I said, Jesus clears it up without any any, you know, side issues in uh, John three eighteen, all are condemned already, and then he gives you the remedy for that in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And then he explains how that can happen in John three sixteen. He says, you know, for God so loved the world that uh, um, he, God gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All you need is the book of John to understand these fundamental truths. And then you go to the book of Romans and he explains it very carefully for you so that you understand it. Paul tells us that the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. The gift is Jesus. The one who sinned is Adam. He is making a contrast between the two. The gift is Jesus' work actually, but Jesus is what he did. I mean, he's tied into himself. All right. Adam's deeds went in one direction, but Christ's heads in another. Next, Paul states four in order to show where the contrast leads. He initiates the thought with the judgment, which came from one offense, resulted in condemnation. This is Adam's sin, and it is universal in scope. There are no exceptions for age level of intelligence, living in a land where the gospel hasn't preached, or any other reason. There are no exceptions to this. All are in Adam. Hey, let me take you to a verse that tells us this. We'll go, oh, we've got to go back a chapter. I mean, a, a book. Go to Acts chapter... That's right, Acts chapter 17. And he says in verse 26, starting in verse 26, he says, And he has made from one blood, or one man, 
every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Okay, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Okay, we're all one blood. We're all in Adam. Paul says that. He makes it clear in uh, uh, chapter 17 of Acts and in Romans chapter 5, where we're at right now, he says it again. There, there's one man that was created. He didn't evolve. There wasn't a group of people that were created, and then one of them was chosen to be the lion, or any of these other theologies which people have made up over the past uh, uh, 150, 200 years. It is all a very bad path that we've gone down because we have accepted that this universe is ancient. And you watch that, I'm telling you, you will, you, will, you will be astonished at what people have thought through on this. You will be astonished. It is really amazing. Okay, so um, where are we right now? It says, um, uh, Paul says in order, where was I? It was, um, oh, universal in scope. There are no exceptions of age, level of intelligence. I said that. <clears throat> when he sinned, when Adam sinned, judgment resulted in condemnation. However, in the same verse, we're given the good news. The free gift, forget free, the gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. The gift, as I noted, is Jesus. His work stands in opposition to Adam's offense and provides the release needed from Adam's authority to that of Christ. It also results in our justification in opposition to Adam's condemnation. This is the greatness of the work of Christ. Where man failed, Jesus prevailed. Where God was rejected through Christ, we are accepted. Where man stood condemned because of our earthly father, he can now stand justified because of the gift of our heavenly father. Is it fair that man who has not heard the gospel stands condemned? Because this is something you're going to hear. If you haven't heard it, at some point when you're giving the gospel, somebody's going to bring this up. They're going to say, well, is it fair? It's not fair. Boy, that's a raw deal for everybody else. I've heard it a million times. One of my closest friends that I grew up with up in Massachusetts said that to me one time when I was telling him about Jesus. Well, that's a raw deal for everybody else. So is it fair? The answer is yes, absolutely. Adam was given both the gift of sinless life and the gift of free will. Adam willingly rejected the authority of his creator when he exercised his free will. Along with this came his free will to procreate in his fallen state. He didn't have to. He could have said, you know what? I know I'm separated from God, and I'm not going to condemn my children like that. He knew this. He knew this, and we all know this. Every time we make an action in our lives, we make decisions which affect other people. Am I going to have an abortion? Am I not going to have an abortion? Am I going to teach my children about Jesus Christ? Be, I'm saved. Am I too shy to tell them because now they're going to go to school and they're going to get bullied because they're Christians? Is that the kind of thing that we want to do? It's all tied in. All of these thoughts and all of these, these actions that we make are tied into this issue. Adam willingly rejected the authority of his creator when he exercised his free will. Along with this came his free will to procreate in his fallen state. Because he did, every person's life after him has been a decision of man to continue in the state that we are in. If you don't want your children to go to hell, there's a couple of things you can do. One, don't have children, okay? That'll take care of the problem right there. They will never go to hell if they are not conceived. Or two, tell them about Jesus and pray that their eyes will be 
open to him and that they will be receptive to him because there are no guarantees. Mm -hmm. You cannot will your children into heaven. Right. Only, only the choice that they make will do it. But in the beginning, there was the promise that this state would not last forever, right from the beginning. So Adam had a choice, you know. And as we saw, if you were watching the uh, early Genesis sermons, Genesis chapter 4, Eve actually thought that her first son was the Redeemer. She actually thought by the naming of Cain, his name, Cainan, or acquired, she thought, I have acquired a man with the Lord. She was thinking, he is going to deliver me and put me back into the garden. That was what was on her mind, and it's evident by the naming of the next son, Abel, Hevel, which means vanity. Vanity, which is used in uh, Ecclesiastes when it says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The word literally means breath. It's breath that just simply disappears. You watch it go away on a cold day. And she knew that that first son was not the Redeemer, and she knew that she wasn't going back to where she was. It's all right there in the Bible. It's showing us the desperate state that she realized she was in, and she ain't going back to it. Imagine how good it was for her to, to want it that desperately. It's going to be great, all right? Anyway, when uh, for those who have put their faith in this promise, there is a better hope. When Christ came, he was the fulfillment of that hope, and now a new direction is possible for the human race. But it must come by the same free will. This is why Jesus gave the Great Commission. If a person who had never heard the gospel could be saved then it would be better to never tell anyone what Jesus did, right? If, if the Great Commission was given by Jesus and he says, go and tell people this, this is the saving message, this is why I do not, I'm sorry, I know that people hate when I say this, I do not believe in dreams and visions mm -hmm. of these Muslims in Africa that are converting to Christ by the billions. I've never seen any true evidence of it. I've heard it a million times. I hear, see people write these articles about it. I do not believe it because if God is going to give another avenue to save people apart from this word, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by dreams and visions. It doesn't say that. It comes by the word of God. We are given a commission and God uses this book to give us the wisdom to go out and to share this book, which tells about Jesus. And I do not believe in any other path, any other avenue. As a matter of fact, I'm going to divert real quickly. I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 1 and just read you what it says in the word itself. Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, right? That's implying that there were prophets in the past. They gave the word of the Lord. Has in these days spoken to us by his son. The word of God is revealed. It is given to us about Jesus Christ. And I do not believe in any, any vision that says you can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. I don't. If people have visions and they're comforted by them from Jesus, it's a personal thing. It is not something that is doctrinal in nature. If somebody has a dream and they say that's from God, that is fine. But that is not doctrine, and it is not something that can ever change or add to this word. There is one way to be saved, and it is by hearing the word of God. And there's one way that that's going to happen, and that's described in what? Uh, Romans 10? 10. Let me read it to you, and then we'll go on. Romans chapter 10. It says, um, oh, here it is right here. This ought to explain these things about Muslim visions and, and Buddhist visions and all these people coming to Jesus. It says right here, verse 14, How then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed, right? Impossible. Can't call on somebody you don't know about. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a vision or a dream, right? No, it doesn't say that. It says with a pre preacher. Somebody has to give them that word. 
And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Right? The Great Commission. Go. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. There's okay. a gaping hole in predestination. What's that? It's a gaping hole. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely. We are given the commission to go, and we are given the commission to go because people need to hear the word and make a voluntary choice. It is irresponsible for us not to send missionaries out. If missionaries need funding and we can fund them, we will. And if I believe in their, their cause, because there are all kinds of missionaries out there, there are more missionaries and you don't want to fund them, but it is our responsibility to make sure that the word gets out. We can do it on the internet. Thank God for the internet right now because we can share it with people you know, all over the world in Bible studies and the sermons, but that's probably not enough. You know, There are people that actually have to go out to places where those things still are not available and to tell people about that. And I'm so thankful for people that are willing to do that. Anyway, um, let's see here. I just, I, 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 this is it. This is it to me. Like this, we got to stick to this. And it's a wonderful treasure. It's a gift that he's given us. Um, you let's, know why you go barefoot. Yeah, because my feet are beautiful. You ought to see them after I get done mowing. I mowed a lot of lawns yesterday <laughs> and today. And I, I sit out there. I got this uh, old, it, you know, it, it, Chinese anchors. You know what they look like? They're, they're big round things right and they're about this tall and it's got a hole in the middle and they take a, a rope and they tie it through and that's the chinese anchor on these ancient boats they used to use and i got one at my house and, but it's sitting on its side and i sit on that and inside here i keep a scrub brush it just sits there and then when i get home after mowing the lawn i get my bleach and i dump it all over my feet oh, and i get my scrub brush yeah i do it every day every single day yeah my feet are as green they are as green as the grass itself when i get done because it's raining and it's all yeah, every single day. Shoes are not an option. I'm sorry. If you want me to wear shoes and you buy them for me, you've wasted your money. That's all I can say. Although I have seen you with shoes. Yes, you have seen me with shoes. I wore them when I was ordained, and I uh, uh, yeah. And those, you know, where those came from? You preached at Grace. You had your shoes. When I preached at Grace, yes. But you know where those shoes came from? No, they were issued to me in 1984 by the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the shoes that I've worn. Um, and if somebody has a funeral, I always ask, how do you want me to dress? It's their funeral or a wedding. I always say, what do you want me to wear? And they usually say, just come as you are. <laughs> you tell me what you want me to wear because somebody will inevitably say, well, I didn't want you to come like that. Yeah, no, no, no. Anyway, um, okay. When Christ came, he was the fulfillment of the, that hope and a new direction is possible for the human race. But it must come by the same free will, and this is why, as I said, Jesus gave the Great Commission. If a person who had never heard the gospel could be saved, then it would be better to never tell anyone what Jesus did. I know I read this already, but I'm reminding you. But this would be completely contrary to this biblical message. Completely. Okay? Life application for you, and we'll get another verse in. When evaluating the Bible's message, be sure to keep your emotions from dictating your theology. Rather, let your theology dictate your emotions. You see me do that at least a couple times a year, sometimes more than that. When you see the glory of what God has done for you, rejoice in the message with all of your heart, and then let your heart be broken for those you haven't yet heard of this message, and determine in yourself to get the word out so that they too can know the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. What was the guy's name? Uh, uh, Hudson, the guy Taylor. that went, what? Taylor. Hudson Taylor, he was in England. He was a guy that went over to uh, India and Burma and all over there, and he translated the Bible. And he 
Now, I, I'm sure that I'm getting the right guy with the right story. He had a globe in his office in England, and he would hug it and weep. He said, there's people all over this planet, and they don't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure I got the right guy. If I got the wrong guy, I'm sorry, but I, I'm sure it's him. And just imagine that, mm -hmm. somebody that has that much of a broken heart for the lost souls. Yeah, and that's where we need to be. Verse 517, go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and it's your joy. May be complete full. or full. That's right. Yes. Absolutely right. Yes. You're talking about the joy, how where joy comes from. That's where the joy comes from. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. You know what? That thing you sent me about Francis Chan, I, that, I have that in my... Uh, my commentary on that verse as well. I just want you to know. Okay. I think he must have read my commentary and used it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm kidding. Anyway, go ahead. Or if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's pretty close. We'll go with it. <laughs> this verse is uh, taking what was previously explained just before and re-explaining it in a condensed way. For if, for if by one man's offense death reigned, the one man is Adam. Only one offense occurred because there was only one command given, right? This is to show the magnitude of sin. One man, the only man on earth, was given one command, you shall not. And he violated that command. And because he disobeyed, the Bible teaches that death reigned through the one. That's the magnitude of one sin committed. Imagine that. Every single bad thing that we have ever seen in this life, all the crummy things that we see on the news every day, all the anger we have in this country right now, like a pot that's boiling over, it all came from one sin. And it wasn't that bad, right? It wasn't terrible. It was, all he did was just, you know, he just went and ate something he shouldn't have eaten, right? But it all comes down to three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things were involved in that one act, right? And then when Jesus came, he was given exactly the same test in exactly the same order by the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and he prevailed. He didn't sin there, and he continued to not sin all the way until the last moment before he died, he was there on the cross, still not cursing God, still not blaming him, taking the sins of the world upon himself for us. All right, But one sin caused every bad thing that we have seen in this planet, and we just brush off sin so easily, and we think, that ah, won't make God angry. He is, he is full of wrath at the sins of the world, full of it. Okay, God is love, but he cannot exercise that love on the objects of his affection unless they turn from those things to his son and accept his panel, uh, his payment in exchange for their sins. He cannot do it, all right? And thus, if it's not love, it must be wrath, okay? Um, one man, I already read that, you shall not. This one offense by the one man caused death to enter the world and it spread to all people from him. And remember, this is spiritual death. Okay, I've explained that before. When he sinned, he continued to live physically for 930 years, even though he was told he would die on the day that he ate of the fruit. The death was spiritual, and it resulted in a chasm between the man and his creator. Physical death was merely a consequence of the spiritual death. 
This death reigns in all humans, and it came about by an act of the volitional will of man. All right? It was free will. Don't let anybody tell you that it wasn't, that there was something else involved. It was free will in man then. It is free will in man now to undo that. Free will in man is something that is granted by God. It is a part of who we are. It is a part of our very nature, and God expects us to use it for his glory. All right? However, next comes the introduction of the good news, the fulfillment of the promise, which was given moments, moments after the fall. Christ came to undo Adam's misdeed. We are told that if this one offense committed by this one man caused death to reign, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is stated to show the contrast between the magnitude of even one sin and the overwhelming majesty of the work of Jesus Christ. It's almost beyond comprehension to consider it if you think of it from this perspective. Those who will simply receive what Christ has done will reign in life. That's what Paul says. The contrast is absolute. Where death reigned through offense, we can now reign in life through the gift. The much more comes in a variety of ways. Adam was created, but Christ is the creator. Adam sinned in innocence, but Christ prevailed with knowledge. Adam had only one command to obey, but Christ was born under the law. How many commands in the law? 613. Absolutely right. Absolutely. (laughs) That Adam was never exposed to other sin. Jesus walked throughout his life in a world of sin. Think of it, right? He, everything that Adam had was just like gravy on his mm-hmm. dinner, and he threw it all away. And everything that Jesus had was a pile of stinking muck all around him, and yet he never sinned. Everything that Adam had was so simple. Everything that Jesus had was so difficult, and yet he did it. He did it, all right? Adam was never exposed to other sin. Jesus walked through a life, throughout his life in a world of sin. Adam died for his own sin, But Christ died for our sins. As has happened on numerous times so far in the New Testament, and which will continue to occur throughout his pages, a word which requires action on the part of the lost soul is used. One must receive what is offered. Just as Adam's fall was because of sin, which was willful, our restoration must come about by faith, which is willful. The concept of God, and I've said this already once in the the class today, I'll say it again. The concept of God regenerating a person to believe is unbiblical. It is never stated in Scripture. It's never implied in Scripture. Verses are taken out of context in order to come to that conclusion. The most famous of all of them is John 6.44, but we could go on with some others. It is not correct. John 6.44 is taken out of context in order to come to that conclusion. Um. We are dead spiritually, but we are not dead beings. We have a free will and we must exercise it. The importance of this cannot be understated because if a man is regenerated in order to believe as Calvinism teaches, then there's truly no point, as he noted earlier, for evangelizing anyone. If God chooses those who will believe apart from the free will of the individual, then the work is already done. The Great Commission isn't really so great. Right, And once again, you might as well just go back to visions, or you might as well go back to what Catholics say about Mary. Mary was kept out of the pit of sin. Well, if he could do it for her, why doesn't he just do it for everybody? 
it would show a God who is not consistent in what he does. That's what the result of things like Marianism is, the Immaculate Conception. And people sometimes think that the Immaculate Conception is speaking of Jesus. It is not. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with Mary. It's saying that Mary was kept from original sin. Okay? That's what the Immaculate Conception is, and that is a heresy. If she was kept from original sin, just keep everybody from original sin and let us all work our way to heaven apart from that sin that, you know, is all over the world and infecting everybody. Well, we can each be our own little God, and we can each, you know... Her father. Well, I know she did. That's the whole thing. The entire thing about Immaculate Conception is crazy. She had a father. She inherited his genes, his DNA, everything. The entire thing about Marian, Marianism, Immaculate Conception, praying to her, her being a mediator and a co-redemptress, all of that. It's all crazy. But that's, you know, what what is that when people do that kind of thing? Control. Well, it's control, but in the case of Mary, it's a little more. It is a willful attempt by Satan. What? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. It's a, an attempt to take our eyes off of Jesus. It is an attempt to get us to violate Scripture by in introducing things like Marian theology. Anyway, I don't want to get off too far on that, but it's the same thing on a different scale by saying that we're regenerated in order to believe. It would show an inconsistency in what God is doing because Jesus clearly said that you believe, and Paul clearly says here that you receive and he says, if and whatsoever and whosoever, a million times in the Bible. These are things that words have meaning. They have meaning. And the implication is that if we don't receive, if we don't believe, then we're not going to be saved. All right? It's an act of the free will. Anyway, but when we understand the magnitude of our sitting by idly, going back to the Great Commission, and not telling others about the Lord, we will be impelled to act and to tell the greatness of the work of Christ as is revealed in this verse right here. So much so, I'll read it to you again. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who are regenerated in order to believe, yeah. no, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Receive. All right? It's a word that implies we have to do something. Okay? And uh, let's see here. Uh, for reasons such as were noted concerning his act, much more because of Jesus' work, those who received him are granted not just grace, but an abundance of it. Those who receive him move from death to life. Those who receive him move from abasement to supremacy. The thought of today's verse is one of superabundance. And that and in that, what was wreaked is now restored. Wrecked is now restored. Excuse me. Wrecked, not wreaked. Let me make sure I spell that right. Okay. Plus, it is the grandeur of a plan conceived in the halls of eternity and instituted in the stream of time. It is the surest guarantee of eternal life and absolute security. It is the gift of God. It is Jesus. All right. Life application. Much more is much more. We are completely fallen in Adam. We are completely rescued in Christ. Adam failed, and you came from him. Christ prevailed, and you moved to him. Stand fast in the truth that Christ is completely capable of saving. Okay? Anything? Okay, go on. 518. 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. 
Okay, they completely wrote it backwards, but it basically says the same thing. I'll read mine and watch how it's backwards. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Okay, you see it's kind of, they just reworded it, but it's, anyway, and it's not a free gift, it's a gift. Verse 518. Mine doesn't say that. Yeah, I know, mine does. Therefore... Paul's therefore, because of what has been presented, we can now make the following conclusions. As through one man's offense is speaking of Adam, same as the last verses, he's using the, the Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ, he's done this in three, maybe four verses now. Speaking of Adam and his disobeying the Lord because of this offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. This is universal in scope. No human being born of a man is exempt from this statement, including Mary. It's important to keep reminding ourselves that the death which occurred because of Adam's offense was initially spiritual in nature. Got to keep remembering that. Physical death was a result of the spiritual death. If this point is overlooked, or if it's ignored, then the fallen state of man is suddenly presented as something not inherited by conception, but is inherited by circumstance. What is proposed then is that we aren't truly in Adam in the fullest sense. Physical death is inherited, but spiritual death isn't. You see, and this is what people like Arminius would say. We inherit physical death. Well, who would think that if death is the result of sin, and we're talking about physical death, forget spiritual death for a second, death is a result of sin, all right? And yet we don't inherit sin from our first father, you see the disconnect? It's first spiritual and then it's physical. The spiritual death occurred. It is in us. We were never born alive spiritually. We were born dead spiritually. And that's why we die as human beings. Think it through logically. Okay? Um, read that again. Is We aren't truly in Adam in the fullest sense. Physical death is inherited, but spiritual death isn't. This is contrary to the entire premise of Scripture, but it is the tenet which theologians cling to because of, once again, going back to the last verse, emotional responses to the world as they perceive it, right? Paul says it otherwise. All men are condemned through Adam without exception. However, the good news is given in the same verse. Even so, it indicates in the same manner. Just as happened through Adam will now happen through Christ. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, Paul says. This man is Jesus. His righteous act, his death on our behalf is now available to all men, resulting in, as he says, justification of life. This is also universal in scope. However, it is universal potentially, not actually. In other words, Jesus' work is available to all, but it is not to be realized in all. And that's another problem that people read and they say, well, all, well, then that means everybody's saved. And you get into what's called, what do you call it? Universal. That's right, universalism. That's not what this is saying. The Bible is speaking potentially that Christ's death is superlative in nature over Adam's sin, right? That what Christ did, his righteous act is superlative over it. Well, if that's the case, if it's superlative, then it must erase Adam's act. It doesn't erase anything except for those who believe. It is potentially there for all people. It is not actually there for all people. He's the gift. Yeah, he is the gift that you have to receive. Where's Adam? Where does Adam end up? What do you mean? Is he, you mean, is he going to heaven or hell? He was covered. 
pictured, let me read it to you, just so you know. She asked, you probably didn't hear online, but she asked, where is Adam going? Okay, Adam is used as the type of all people, but you fell asleep during that part of the sermon, I think. Um, I'm kidding. I, no, I, I'm kidding. I don't know if you were there that day or not, but here's what it says. It says, um, um, he curses first, um, uh, it says, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, he first curses the serpent, right? And then he curses the woman. I will put enmity between right. you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, right? And then to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. Going on, verse 17. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Then he curses Adam. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is this, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and then it says, Verse 20, and Adam called his wife, wife's name Chava, Eve, okay, because she was the mother of all living, his life. He just said that you're dead. On the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die, right? Okay. And yet he called her Chava, life. It was an act of faith. Thank you. It was an act of faith. And then the next verse says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothe them. It's a picture of giving them his righteousness. Okay. He granted them righteousness because of his act of faith. He said, I believe the promise, Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He had disobeyed God's word. He ignored it and he realized I have messed up. I'm not going to miss the word of the Lord again. Mm -hmm. And he listened to every word that was said and he acted in faith and he called his wife Chava. And that's where Adam will be. He will be with the redeemed of the Lord because he acted in faith. He believed in Messiah. So, and Chava, what does that mean? Life. life. It, it's basically living or life. Yeah. It comes from the word Chai, which means life. When uh, Hebrew people say uh, Kampai or cheers. L yeah. Lachaim. To life. Right? So that's right. That anyway. goes along with what you and I were talking about before uh, service started. That the faith, faith in the seed coming. Right. They had faith in the seed coming. Uh -huh. And First Timothy four ten, he's the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. That's right. He's the savior of all men, yeah. potentially, potentially, especially of those who believe. Who actually, believe. I'm so glad that you're talking because it gives me a chance to take a sip. <laughs> it really does help. Um, anyway, um, so does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. It was a picture of them being covered by giving them two nits of skin. Okay. Something had to die in order for them to be covered, right? If you right. took skins right. and you covered them, That's it's right. a picture of slaying an animal and covering them and hiding their nakedness. And once again, you come to the idea of nakedness and you get to the earth and altar. After the Ten Commandments, the very first thing that the Lord brings in is what? The law of the earth and altar. Why on earth would he do that? You need to go back and watch that sermon and brush up on it because you'll understand. Let me read it to you really quickly. You have to ask yourself, why does the Lord say something here when he just He just gave them the Ten Commandments, this great thing, and all of a sudden it says in verse 22, it, you know, it's talking about the Ten Commandments, and then it talks about um, the people witnessed it, there's smoke, there's fear, blah, 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 don't let the Lord talk to us, you listen to him. And all of a sudden, verse 22, it changes the direction completely. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you, sh you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. He repeats one of the commandments you shall make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. 
and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it, excuse me, of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. What does that mean? Works. No works are to be involved. No stone is to be cut. It is to be, uh, I, it, it, I created that stone. You can make a pile out of it, but no works are to be involved in approaching me. And then the last thing he says, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. It's not the steps. It's not their nakedness that is being seen, which is what the Jews teach. And most, most Christian pastors or theologians will say the same thing. They don't want to show their nakedness on it, on the altar. In other words, the stones and the works demonstrate the nakedness on the altar. It's a type of work. In other words, works separate us from God. Faith is what restores us to God. Go back and watch that sermon. I give you the detail very carefully, and you'll appreciate it much more the second time anyway. Plus, it'll keep you from watching too much uh, sports or something. Anyway. Um, uh, that's Linda, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she's a real sports addict, that one. Uh, anyway, um, okay, um, we're in 518. We've already read it, haven't we? F yeah. Physical death. Um, I, I'm not sure where I left off. If this point is overlooked, let me go, oh yeah, physical death was a result of spiritual death. If this point is overlooked or ignored, the fate of uh, the fallen state of man is suddenly presented. I read that too. Let me go down. This is contrary to the entire premise of scripture. Paul says it otherwise. Um, all men are condemned through Adam without exception. However, I've read that too. Even so indicates in the same manner, just as happened through Adam, will now happen through Christ. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. The man is Jesus. I know I've read this. Oh, I know exactly where I am. I got done a potentially and then actually. Now here we go. In other words, potential and actual. In other words, Jesus' work is available to all, but it will not be realized in all. One must choose Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 22, Paul says, For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ all shall be made alive in Christ. One must move from Adam to Christ, to be in Christ. For the change to be realized, all are in Adam and all die. All are offered Christ and shall be made alive if they are in Christ. This is the understanding of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. It is accurate because elsewhere the Bible makes it clear that condemnation remains for those who are apart from Christ. Okay, so we need to take everything in context. And for somebody to say, well, if all are dead in Adam and all are made alive in Christ and everybody's going to heaven, that is not in context. You have to be in Christ. Okay, so <clears throat> understanding this, we can see that there are three types of imputation which are <coughs> spoken of in this one verse, okay? Imputation is saying, I am bestowing something upon you. Even though you don't actually possess it, I am bestowing it upon you. Three types. One, the imputation of Adam's sin to all humanity, with the caveat that sin transfers through the male. Thus, Christ did not inherit Adam's sin. He had no male human father. He had a uh, father who is God. Okay? Two, the imputation of man's sin to Christ which occurs by faith in him. This includes all sin, both that is imputed from Adam 
and that is which is committed by the individual. In other words, I'm giving him my sin. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And three, the imputation of Christ's righteousness to man who has demonstrated faith in God's provision through Christ. So you see how it's going. Everybody's in Adam. We were imputed his sin. Our sin was imputed. It's not actually given to him in the sense that, um, I, and I explained this, I think either in last week's sermon or this week's sermon, somebody emailed me about that and they say, well, if Christ was um, given our sin, then how could he have come out of the grave? And let me think this through for just a second. Um, um, it, it goes back to a picture that you see in Leviticus, and I'll think it through while we're going and I'll probably think of it, but um, I, anyway, I answer it either in last week's sermon or this week's sermon or one that I'm going to do in... Uh, he bore it, but he didn't. That's correct. But there's there's a logical way that this occurs, and it's explained in the rites of Leviticus. He bore our sin, but it says he uh, made him sin who knew no sin, that he might become the righteousness of God in him. But it goes back to the original state. And so I, I don't want to mess it up, and I've got other things on my mind, but I will get you that answer, and it's right in the book of Leviticus. Man, I'm telling you, the book of Leviticus is so ignored, it's so overlooked, and yet it is so absolutely important to what is going on in the rest of the Bible. If you understand Leviticus, then especially the book of Hebrews, but also the book of Romans, will make so much sense. And it clears up all of the things that we say, well, what about, what about, what if, and what about? It is all cleared up in the book of Leviticus, if you understand what God is doing there. Wow, I did um, Leviticus 13 this week. Wow, you talk about some great stuff. I was I was so scared at the beginning of that sermon this past Monday. 13, um, it's about um, skin of his body, a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and you know, the leprosy oh, and all yeah, that. Yeah. Wow, I thought I'm going to have to do the whole chapter, and it's 40, uh, 59 verses long just to... Uh, to I didn't get through, I think, verse 11, and I think I was done. I, I, I don't think, I, maybe I went through verse 12, but I'm going to tell you what, and it is really wonderful. You talk about finding Jesus in every word. It, it is really wonderful. Wow. You know, you just, you never know until you get into a sermon what you're going to get because you read things, but until you start reading the, who, oh boy, Leviticus 12, the, the impurity of the woman during childbirth. Great stuff. Wow. It'll be eight weeks, but we'll get there unless the Lord comes first. I, I just, I'm telling you, I'm so enjoying this book of Leviticus. Just, I'm so enjoying it. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, where was, okay, so we got the imputations, life application. One sin resulted in condemnation for man. If this could be repeated after coming to Christ, it would be repeated continuously until our death. The good news is that receiving Christ is a one-time event. The efficacy of Christ's work is absolute, complete, and eternal. Stand fast in this. You are saved despite yourself, okay? That was the uh, title of one of my first sermons at Grace Baptist. It was eternal salvation despite ourselves. And that's a truth that we need to remember when we're doing something that's so incredibly stupid that we think, how could God forgive me? He's already done it. He's already done it. You are saved. It is. Let me read the first sentence again so you understand. One sin resulted in condemnation for man, right? Okay. If this could be repeated, if it could, sin resulting in condemnation, then it would 
after coming to Christ, it would be repeated continuously until our death. And thus, we'd need the Roman Catholic Church to give us what? Indulgences, that's right. And then get us out of purgatory. We'd have to spend time in purgatory. And then all of it comes back <coughs> to money. It all comes back to money. Yep. You were saved. You were saved once, and it is done. Okay? Now we have time for one more verse, and it's a short one. So we, it's going to be perfect. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. That's right. Okay. Building on what he said in verse 518, Paul shows the result of Adam's offense in Jesus' righteous act. The contrast is clear. Adam's disobedience is contrasted with Jesus' obedience. The outcome is that through Adam, humanity became sinners. Through Jesus, humanity will be made righteous. Potentially. Potentially. That's right. And when we call on him, when we are in him, it becomes actual. actual. As the wages of sin is death, which is Romans 6, verse 23, humanity died, but through Jesus, eternal life can be restored. That's John 3, 16. For those who remain in Adam, there will be outer darkness, Matthew 25, 30. But for those who move to Christ, there will be eternal light. That's Revelation 21, 23. Now people say, well, I don't believe in hell and uh, I don't believe in fire. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's what the Bible says. But we have to take things in context just because it's, in, it's called the lake of fire. In Greek, I think it's limnin tom puros, the lake of fire. Okay. And, um, uh, but Jesus says that you'll be cast into outer darkness. And fire implies light, right? Mm -hmm. So there are things going on that we do not fully understand. But when God says that those people are cast into the lake of fire, they are cast into the lake of fire. And when Jesus says it's outer darkness, it is. And it could be that what he's speaking of is spiritual darkness, complete separation from God so that there's complete depravity. I don't know. You know, it's not something that I, I do not dwell on hell. I'm not one to, to focus on it. I don't like to try to scare people into heaven. I think that's a bad way of approaching the issue. But it is real. It is eternal. And uh, it, that's all there is to it. It, it. The Bible says it, and that is the way it is. But I'm not one, I'm not a specialist on hell. So if you email me about it, I'm going to have to go and do some real studying because it's just not something I ever focus on. But um, where are we? Um, Christ, there will be eternal light, Revelation 21, 23. The words here are meant to inspire us to reach out for the cross and to receive the work of Jesus. It's hard to imagine the decision to reject him, but... He indicated that it is in our nature to desire our spiritually blinded state. All right, he says in John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We love our evil deeds. We, we, we live in them. We thrive in them. We think, oh, I'm going to go do more of them, and I like that one, so I'm going to do it again. And that is the darkness he's speaking of. Men don't want to come to the light because the Darkness is so fun, right? Everything around Jesus' words in John 3, 19 indicates that if we are willing to open our eyes, we can see the light and step into it. When that choice is made, its effects are glorious. Adam's misdeed is overturned by the work of Christ. Life application and we are done. How long did you walk in darkness before you came to the light? Don't give up on those who have turned down Jesus, but keep praying for them and being a witness to them of the path which will restore them to God. Keep sharing Jesus with them. Okay, it's never hopeless until the last moment and the last breath, and then it's over. But uh, 
really, really gracious God that would offer us this gift after all of our sins against him. That's all I can say. So, Charlie. Yes, sir. The Formula racing cars, like the race the Indianapolis 500. Yep. They have a fire. You don't see the flame, but they say that is burnt you. Mm-hmm. Of anything. You see the guy when they get it on him and they're burning and they're they're doing this yeah. and they're trying to get it off and you don't even see it. You don't yep. see a flame. Yeah. yeah, no flame, but there it is. Very burning fire. So there's an answer right there. Outer darkness, flames, and no light. Hey, what do you know? Sir, would you like to close us in prayer tonight? I'd be happy to. Okay. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together with those that are questing after your righteousness. Mm. And we just ask that you would nourish within us the messages that we have heard and that it would grow and manifest itself not only for our benefits for but for the benefit of our friends family neighbors we ask your blessing on charlie in this little church and all of those who will be watching by internet that your word will dwell successfully in their hearts. Amen. Amen. All right. Back this baby up. Let's see here. It's working. Okay. Break. There we go. Okay. That's it. All right, guys. We love you. We hope you have a wonderful night and a great rest of the week. We'll see you Sunday. Lord willing. See you later. Oh, isn't it wonderful? I didn't, you know what? I've got a thing that tells me when somebody does download it, where, but I must not have been when it, it was in. And then, okay, well, it only shows the most recent one. And so if I don't see it when it happens, Tom, have a wonderful evening. Lord bless you now.